Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through to chapter 15, verse 10. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in your leaflets. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give, do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thanks so much, Tom. Now, um, Emily just said I shouldn't get the marriage up because you had enough cake lately, mate. So I just thought I'd go with another. Go with your folks. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks. The Bible reading is there. Keep it open to follow it along. And um, there's an outline of where we're going as well. And uh, just a handy little um, uh, insert, which we'll actually get to in a few minutes. That's that's very good. Now... um, I don't know if you have any traditions with birthdays in your family over the years. Uh, our tradition in our family, it doesn't matter what day it is, um, but everyone in the birthday gets birthday breakfast with pancakes, uh, fresh fruit, ice cream, bacon. Uh, well, this morning we didn't do the eggs. And so this morning was up uh, early uh, for 7 o'clock birthday breakfast for Aaron, who turned 24 uh, at 7 o'clock. And um, uh, we were celebrating uh, his life and giving thanks for him. And uh, I asked them this question this morning, which is, really takes us to the heart of our Bible passage today. 
Um, have you lost and found anything of importance lately? Um, or what is the most important thing that you lost and have found? And Jay immediately said, oh, I lost my wallet once. Well, actually, I didn't know uh, that I lost my wallet. It had fallen out of my car and I got this message on Facebook saying, oh, hey, uh, I've got your wallet here. Um, and, um, and she realised, I've lost my wallet. And so she went and she got her wallet back. Now, we're losing things all the time like that, aren't we? And part of why the Bible is so important is because it's God telling us, letting us know uh, what we've lost that is really important, that is really important now and for all eternity, not just for ourselves, uh, but for the people we live, work and play with. Have you lost and found anything lately? Um, I have to confess, uh, I've two weeks ago, I lost my first set of car keys. Just got a new car, already lost one of the sets. I, could, I don't know where it is, I've retraced my steps. Uh, it's happened before, they usually turn up. I'm not too stressed, I do have a spare set. Um, not too stressed. Now, and I think, speaking of phones, anyone ever lost their phone, misplaced their phone? I think Apple knows um, human nature almost as good as the Bible because I've got my new phone and there's this beautiful app that says... Yeah, find my phone. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I, I love that app. It's, it's really good. Um, but have you ever lost and found anything of more importance? What about your pet? Um, uh, we, uh, our first dog, Maggie, used to love getting out, going for a wander down the street. She loved playing in her neighbours' ponds. Uh, and so when she didn't come back after a few hours, it was like everyone, right, stop what you're doing. We're all walking the streets, yelling out, Maggie, Maggie, where are you? You know, even, even going into our neighbours' streets because they knew us pretty well by now uh, with our lost dog. Um, and we didn't come home till we had found Maggie. But have you ever misplaced or lost one of your children? Please do not judge Gideon and I too harshly here. We've got probably too many stories to share with you. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to share the first one with you now. Um, but it's, it's late 90s. You familiar with the Adelaide Central Market? Yeah. Uh, the doors, that they're non-existence, you know. Just Anyway, so we're in there. Uh, Gideon and I were their good friends, Jane and Simon, and we're... Um, we're just at the, you know, those stand up, we're at the, at the stand up coffee bar. We just, we've ordered our coffee. Aisha's right there. She's three. She's a toddler. Um, everything's, we're having a good time. And we, yep, yep, no, as we turn to get our coffee, we turn back. Aisha's gone. Like, it was literally five seconds. And, oh, Aisha, you know, Aisha, she must be around the corner. Aisha, she's not there. Um, and so we, you know, we widen our search and like, have you seen a little three year old girl? She's like, she's wearing like a little dress, flowers or, Aisha, uh, we're just starting to get a little sort of, uh, you know, a bit more anxious at this point. And uh, we're screaming. Jane and Simon kindly rush to the Guja Street and the Grote Street exit and entrance. Uh, Gita and I uh, start walking up and down the aisles. We're yelling her name. Aisha, Aisha, we're looking. This is Saturday morning, all right? It is packed. People everywhere. And let me say, people from all walks of life as well. Um, and here we are, standing in the middle of an aisle, looking this way and that way, paralysed with anxiety, beginning to think of the worst uh, of, of what might have happened to her. Um, and suddenly we, we see this sort of um, people at the end up there at, at a fruit stall. They part and there's this security guard walking through and in his arms he's holding Aisha. Uh, I can't believe it. And we run to her. And, and Gita grabs her in her arms and holds her tightly. And, and by this time, you know, the, the joy of relief uh, 
comes out in tears and all sorts of emotion. I mean, have, have you ever, anyone ever experienced that? Anyone ever experienced that level of lost and found emotions in the space? It was probably really only a few minutes, but it felt like hours. We were, we were just freaking out big time. But um, that begins, only just begins to give us an idea of the heart of our Heavenly Father and what God feels towards people. God feels very, very strongly, passionately um, for people who are lost to him. And that's what these passages uh, are all about. He's teaching everyone within earshot about God and what he actually feels for people who have been found, but actually who still remain lost to him. Uh, and it's the first of those two stories uh, there that we, uh, we heard Jesus tell. If you want to actually open up to your leaflet or if you've got a Bible, feel free to look along. You see, um, as we just get into the setting, uh, we're about, you know, a bit over halfway through Luke's gospel. And there are two sorts of people crowding around, aren't there? Um, I've got that first point there I've called the graceful grateful and the graceless grumbling. Verses 1 to 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells them this parable. Now since uh, the start of the reading that Tom read out, verse 25 of chapter 14, Jesus has gone from being inside a house with all the religious leaders and heavyweights of the local town that he's in, to being outside talking to the crowds, talking to... And, and we know that it's actually thousands of people. Uh, Luke tells us that back in chapter 11. As we heard in our first reading, Jesus is compelling. He's exhorting anyone within earshot to do whatever you need, uh, to do what we did when we forgot about the shopping, forgot about the coffees, and we were focused only on one thing when, when we'd lost Aisha. Find Aisha. It was urgent. It was focused. Uh, all of our energy going into that one activity, find Aisha. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, do whatever you need to, uh, to follow me, to give me your highest allegiance, your highest loyalty uh, and your love, your affection, your first place in your life and your purposes and what gets you out of bed of a morning. Last week we heard that heaven or the kingdom of God, it's, it's like this big party, this big royal party. It's like you've been invited to a palace, says Jesus. Jesus is God inviting everyone to come. Anyone within earshot can come. There's no one who cannot come. But of course there are lots who are not coming. They're making excuses. And in their excuses they're excluding themselves from a seat at Jesus' table in heaven. Of course the irony is that it's the graceful, grateful. Uh, they're the enthusiastic ones that are coming. And who are the graceful and grateful here in Luke? Well, it's not who you'd expect. The people who know their scriptures, who are educated, who are looking and waiting for their Messiah. It's, it's the scurrilous, the irreligious, uh, the rebels, the, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. And, and maybe you know what it's like to be told your whole life by society, that you're just not worth it, you're a loser, that you've stuffed up your life so badly that, you know, why bother? No second chances for you. You're not welcome. 
You're never going to be invited to one of my parties. You're never going to be invited into my home, into my table. You see, these, these guys have been told that because they're sinners, um, they're unclean. And in Jesus' day, uh, the, the synagogue, the church-going people of Jesus' day, they thought even if they were in the same room um, as someone who was unclean, they would somehow become tainted and unclean themselves and not able to go and meet with their God. But see, along comes Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah, and he's spending most of his time eating and drinking and partying with sinners, with the rebels and the, and the robbers and the prostitutes and the, the outcasts. And so these people are like, what? This is unreal, unreal. Uh, the guy with all the power in town, who's doing all the miracles, who's healing everyone, who's, whose teaching comes with such authority, it leaves everyone in awe and praising God. He's casting out demons. He's, he's releasing people from the captive of evil force. This guy wants to hang out with us. He's welcoming us. Wow. And you see, by his actions, Jesus is showing us who he is. But he's just saying by his actions that whatever you've done, whatever you've done, in me, in Jesus, there's always forgiveness for anyone who will come to me. And of course, in contrast, we, we heard there's the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're muttering, they're grumbling, they're, they're graceless. Um, uh, they've heard enough of Jesus, um, feeling pretty threatened, and they're trying to trap him, they want to get rid of him, push the eject button. And, um, and then remember, these are the people who've actually grown up um, you know, with a religious education. They've grown up uh, going to probably to a, a Jewish school. Uh, um, these guys are you know, middle, um, upper, upper class, they're materially well off, um, they're very diligent, very dutiful, trying to keep God's law, uh, believing that if they can just keep God's law well enough, the Messiah will come, he'll be pleased with them and they'll be first in line. But of course, these are the ones who are actually not rejoicing at Jesus coming, but grumbling. What's he doing eating and drinking with this these sinners, these, these prostitutes and, and, and these outcasts, and why is he not hanging out with us? Like, what is going on here? Surely if he's God's Messiah, he'd be wanting to hang out with us. It's immoral. You see, in Jesus' day in the Middle East, as it actually is still today in most cultures, if I invite you into my home to share a meal with me, to my table, I'm honouring you. Um, I'm saying to you that I, I want to know you. I want to share life with you. I actually want to be your friend. Um, it's a sign of acceptance. Um, if, if you've wronged me and I invite you to my table, it's actually a message of forgiveness. It's saying all is forgiven, even if no words have been spoken, actually. To share a table is to say, I want to share life with you and vice versa. So, and that's what Jesus is doing. Now, Jesus can react. He could like, you know, you guys are hopeless. What are you doing? Get your act together. He could come down with the stick. But no, 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 such is God's grace in Jesus. He's always teaching. He's always holding out God's word. He's knowing that God gives repentance. So he's gently, he's humbly, he's clearly, he's teaching. Teaching everyone within earshot. Giving everyone, and while we've got breath in our lungs, right up until the end, an opportunity to turn, repent, and come to Jesus. That's why Jesus is teaching in parables. It's, it, it's, it's just part of Jesus' 
extravagant grace to humanity. He's given, giving even his enemies, his enemies, people who hate him, every opportunity to repent and to receive him and have a seat at the king's table. And so you've got one parable but three stories. And just the length of chapter 15 uh, shows that Jesus is, wants us to know that what I'm about to teach you about the heart of God really is the heart of God. It's really important. Listen up. It's a long chapter. And so we come to that first parable. It's the parable of the lost and recovered sheep, isn't it? Verses 4 to 7. Uh, the parable itself, verse 4, if you want to just look with me, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Just again, uh, it's still this way uh, in the Middle East, in a lot of places, but um, each family in a village might have owned maybe a handful of sheep, you know, five to 15 uh, sheep. And so you think, but hang on, here's a hundred sheep here, and it's the owner of the sheep. And so what you've got is you've got um, people who are probably related, you know, maybe even the whole community, the town, who own sheep. Um, They put all their sheep in together, and one of the owners of the sheep, of five to 15 sheep, is there uh, looking after the sheep. Yeah, um, so you've got a, a village community on view here. Um, Bible backdrop in the Bible, of course, Moses uh, was a shepherd. Uh, God himself uses shepherd language, doesn't he? Psalm 23, which begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, uh, it's everywhere. So God uses that metaphor even for himself. In Jesus' day, flesh and blood shepherds, do you know that they were seen as part of the, the unclean. So if you're a shepherd, you hung out with sheep and things, you were unclean, you were part of these sinners. Um, and you think, wow, uh, Jesus, even choosing to choose a parable about a shepherd losing one lost sheep, um, yes, hinting at God, but it's, you can see it's, it's shocking to their ears. It's like, what? Um, because you notice how he begins. Suppose one of you guys, suppose one of you Pharisees has a hundred sheep. And, and the way he asks the question, it's a rhetorical question where um, the obvious answer is yes. Um, suppose you lose one of them. Now, usually, of course, um, when, the, when the herd was big enough, sheep were entrusted by the owner to a hired hand. You had a hired hand. Uh, John 10 picks up on this uh, to look after the owner's sheep. Um, but here we've actually got the owner. Um, And is this God sort of hinting that these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers who were really, uh, they had the responsibility for the care of God's people, but also for the care of God's mission, to make sure they were still welcoming and and having an eye to the outsider to welcome them in. Um, So is Jesus um, saying to these guys, "You, you um, you haven't done your job? Because notice it's the owner of the sheep, who knows that just one is missing. Just one is missing. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, as you know, and um, uh, as a young lad, we had the responsibility, especially in summer, I had to sit on the rail as the cows all went down the race to the, to the, to the strip swamp paddocks. Uh, Dad milked about 100 cows as well. Had to count the cows. And um, if you counted them wrongly... Um, you know, Dad didn't say, oh, oh, we won't worry about it. Um, we actually had to go down and count them again <laughs> until he was confident we got the right number. But if one was missing, then you're in the ute going up and down the channels 
Um, because what would happen in summer, rather than come up for the trough for a drink, the cows would try to get to the water in the channel and then they'd fall in and they couldn't get out. Um, and so you'd find a cow in the channel, you'd go back up, you'd get the tractor, you'd get a big rope, you'd go down uh, or a chain, you'd put it on the bucket, you'd put it around the cow's neck. Um, it was the only way to get it out. And then you would help lift this cow out as it sort of scrambled up the bank. And as a young lad, I can still remember the images because I looked, you know, the neck stretching. I was like, whoa, it was, it was ugly, it was horrible. It's like, oh. Um, but the thing is, the cows were always okay and they were saved, they were rescued and restored back to the herd. And it's a little bit of a reminder to us, isn't it? Um, as we look at God's rescue at the cross, there's, it's beautiful, but gee, it's ugly, it's horrible. And often uh, the effort it takes to rescue someone, the urgency, uh, it can often be a bit like that. But here, back to the parable, what does Jesus say? He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until the owner finds it? Um, he asks the question knowing the answer is yes, of course the owner is going to do that. The lostness of the one trumps the safety of the 99. The lostness of the one trumps the safety of the 99. Just as losing our one child, Asia, <laughs> it just it trumped everything in that moment. As Jesus has already taught these grumbling and graceless synagogue um, goers back in Luke chapter 5. See, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the owner doesn't stop looking until he finds the lost sheep. And um, it's just a reminder, isn't it, that uh, for those of us who've got people on our hearts, we're praying, maybe we are trying to, uh, you know, waiting for that opportunity where we can actually uh, share Jesus with people we live, work and play with. Evangelism takes time. But here's a picture of a God who does not give up on people um, until they're dead. We've got to stay in it for the long haul. It's a beautiful insight into the long-suffering love of God, our Heavenly Father. Never give up on people because God does it. Verse 5, and when the owner finds a lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. It's the first of three times the word joy or rejoicing is used in this parable. Um, and I mentioned this before in the all-in talk, but he's just found the sheep. He's, whoa, excellent, finally. But it's the idea of joyfully putting on the sheep on his shoulder, knowing the hard work of getting the, the sheep home is still ahead. You know, there's dangerous animals, there's all sorts. Um, and it's just a beautiful picture of, of the joy of a heavenly father in sending his son to seek and to save us, to go to his cross, to bear our sin and to carry us home to him. And the whole Bible um, teaches us that this has always been the heart of God, always been the heart of God. And so God himself, um, through Moses, summarises the exodus of his, of his people out of Egypt in chapter 19 of Exodus when he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Beautiful, isn't it? I carried you. I brought you to myself. Now, in telling uh, this parable, Jesus likely had in mind uh, a beautiful scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 to 11. Now, do we end up getting it up, boys, or... No luck on the PowerPoint? No, that's all right. Um, let, me, let me read it out to you. Oh, I'm sorry it was meant to be up on the PowerPoint. Um, you who bring good news to Zion, or to Zion, go up on a high mountain. 
You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord himself comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. He tends, he he gathers, he carries, he gently leads. Again, it's a beautiful picture of God himself coming in person, taking all the initiative to seek and to find, to pick up, to carry, to bring home to himself. What a beautiful saviour we have in Jesus. Verse 6, arriving home, there's more joy. He calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Oh, we should stand up with that party sign again, boys. No, we won't, okay. Um, rejoice with me, I've found my... It's, come and party with me. Come and enter into my joy. You see, I've lost what was precious to me and I've found, I've found them. Come and enter into my joy of finding what is lost and precious to me. That's the invitation. Can you hear what Jesus is teaching here, what he's asking, urging us to do, to know real joy is his people? Such is God's joy in sending Jesus to count the cost of carrying sinners home. The invitation is not just to come and be saved, but to come and enter into this joy. Share in my joy, in the joy of my rescue, my mission, Get on board with me and what makes me happy because I promise you it's what will make you most happy. It's what will bring you most joy. And and he hammers the point home, doesn't he, in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. More joy in heaven. And you think, how regularly, how often are the one turning to Jesus in the world? 24-7. More joy in heaven. That is, anyone and everyone who's in heaven, we're just constantly rejoicing. We're in party mode. As people get found. And who are the righteous? Well, of course, as I've already mentioned, uh, the synagogue goers here, the ones who are grumbling, they, they believed uh, that they were the righteous ones and that they would be the ones who God would be most pleased with when the Messiah came, all based on their resume of good works. Of course, in, the problem in the Bible is that this is never how a person is declared righteous by God. It's never by what we bring. It's never by your resume or mine of good works. It's only by God's resume, the resume of Jesus, his son, Because in the Bible, the righteous live by faith. By faith. By trust and faith in God's word that he gets the job done. And he will get it done. He's shown that on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the righteous are those who receive God on his terms. Those terms are one word. Do you know what the word is? 
Grace. It's grace. That's the terms. God's grace. God's word become flesh. God's grace is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus continues to explain why he's so enthusiastically eating and drinking with the irreligious sinners, just in case we had one sort of you know, finger in our ear, the first story. He moves on to the second story, the parable of the lost and recovered coin, verses 4 to 7. See, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours and together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. We can hear the pattern, can't we? It's rhythmic, almost poetic, like the first story. But there are a few nuanced differences, so let's just take a few minutes to look at this one. You see, it's not a shepherd, it's a woman. It's a woman of modest means. Um, We're talking about ten silver coins, which is uh, Greek silver coins, a drachma, um, sort of more shaped like a cube rather than like our coins. Um, And uh, the setting is not outside, but it's inside her house, which, you know... Hints, possibly, um, that Jesus has come searching for lost people inside the house of God, (laughs) the people who these religious grumblers are meant to be actually looking after, (laughs) but uh, haven't been. So Jesus has got to actually also search for lost people inside the people of God. Um, Anyway, she's got 10 drachmas, 10 silver coins. Um, That was a day's wage, we're told. She loses one of them. Now, I don't know how earnestly you would chase... Look, if you've got... Let's say in a year's wages, you, you look and you say, oh, they, 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 they ripped me off a day's wage. Now, how hard are you going to go chasing that day's wage, I wonder? Like out of a whole year. Um, I was thinking, you know, you know, I probably might make a call, but I'm not going to go too hard, really, you know, all that effort. But it's just a reminder that um, for most people in the world, uh, a day's wage, I mean, they're, they're living literally hand to mouth each day. Um, and you lose a day's wage. So she, she, she's earnest. I mean, she, she gets the vacuum cleaner out, um, you know, the, probably the equivalent of it wasn't a Dyson, couldn't afford a Dyson in those days. But she's, she's swept, she's vacuumed, she's looking. And, and, and again, um, she's searching carefully. She searches carefully. It's a very strong word in the original language. Um, and it just reminds us that things are just progressing in each story. The focus is more on the search that the heart of God, he's a searching God, searches diligently, um, earnestly, uh, methodically, it's very focused, very single-mindedly, perseveringly, does not give up till she finds that lost coin. Um, the giving of her whole self to the to finding of just this one lost coin. And again, you can you see to the ears of the, the middle class and the upper class in this village, for days wait, oh, who cares? Um, but you can just see He's teaching about the heart of God. That you, you look at these, these outcasts as not important to God. Uh, they're certainly not important to you guys. Uh, they're not precious. Uh, you know, who cares really? Um, God's saying, no, 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 every person, whether they're in the White House or in a slum in India, every person is equally precious to God. He's searching equally earnestly and urgently every person lost to him verse 9 again when she finds it it's time to call her friends and neighbours come rejoice with me come rejoice with me enter into my joy I've lost the coin I've found it come and have a party with me the point 
In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just to remind us that um, every being in heaven is, is caught up in God's joy, even the angels. But of course, Jesus is on earth here. God himself wanting to not just save us, but invite us to get caught up in heaven's joy as well on earth. What's Jesus teaching? Come party with me. Come join my search. I've done all the work to do the rescuing, but come and join the, come and join the search. Come party, come celebrate with me. I, I don't know who or what is most precious to you. Who or what you're most urgently or earnestly chasing at the moment. But do you you know this joy? You see, for God, for Jesus, he's saying the thing to give up everything for is Jesus, is to receive this grace, to enter into this joy, to be saved, if you haven't done that yet. But for those of us who have, to come and join Jesus on his mission. That's the invitation. The punchline of both stories is the same. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus is reminding everyone within earshot then and now just how precious one lost soul is to our Heavenly Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit. That's what God will always be doing until Jesus returns, searching for these ones. And so is it time to come party with the king? Just to summarise the four learnings, the three about God and the one about ourselves. The first learning about God is that God's greatest joy is over sinners who are lost and found to him. The second learning, God's greatest joy as well is in bearing all the cost of our rescue and our restoration to himself in his own son's cross. The third lesson about God is the grace full love of God that leaves heaven to come and search for people lost to him, to bring them home to him. And the fourth takeaway is this radical new understanding of repentance. I wonder if you picked it up. A radical new understanding. When Jesus says, repent and be saved. See, how does a person get saved? We need to repent. And so that first point, the joy of repentance and being recovered. What does the word repent mean? It's why I included that first reading. Just flick back to the first part of that reading at the end of 14. Verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, suppose a king is about to go to war uh, against another king. Won't he first sit down, consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, to our ears, what do we hear Jesus saying? Well, we, we, um, we hear, uh, look, a bit like you know, AFL trade that's going on at the moment. What you need to go and do, two clubs, you've got to get together. Uh, we want that player. We'll give you this if you, like, you know, you're working out a bargain, some sort of a agreement, terms of, of peace to get the deal done. Uh-uh. No, no. There's only one term of peace on offer here. Uh, Sure, if you completely surrender to me, I won't annihilate you. (laughs) Uh, You know, 20,000, 10,000. 
this is a military image Jesus is using. And we know that this is what Jesus means because he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. See, you can't say, look, Jesus, I know you've done this, but look, let me tell you what I'm bringing to the table, mate. Um, I've lived a pretty good life. I haven't killed anyone. You know, look, I, I know I, um, I haven't been perfect, but I've done more good things than bad. You know, I've actually given a fair bit of money to church. I mean, surely that counts for something. Uh, and I've actually tried to go most weeks. I mean, I've served you know, on three rosters at church, sometimes four. Um, and I've even grown up. You know, I went to that Christian school. I've been going to church all my life. And you see... The point is, it counts for, for naught. Um, it's only by God's grace in Jesus that we're saved and rescued and restored to God. All those things are good and they matter, but they're all in response to God's grace, all in response to God already saving us. The terms, as I said, they're complete surrender. Just think about the sheep. What did the sheep do to get themselves saved and restored? Well, straight off and got himself lost, didn't they? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, it, was the, it was the owner's initiative to notice he was missing, to come searching until he found him, to lift him up, to carry him home, to bring him back. That's a picture of grace. Of course, a coin is an inanimate object. Um, but the point is... Um, Repentance here is accepting God's grace. Accepting the Father's grace. It's my gift. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Surrender and submit to my grace. Now, I guess here's the thing. I'd be surprised if there's not some of us here who have lost a bit of joy in the Christian life, you find it hard, uh, it's tedious, it's a grind, you feel loaded up with guilt, feel like you're never good enough. Um, so you just wonder, you might have once understood this grace, but, but what can happen so easily is that we slip into this gospel of works, of, of somehow it's, yeah, God, but, you know, hey, look what a great job I'm doing, God. It can happen to the best of us where we lose touch of the wonder of God's grace. It's all grace. It always is. Always is. And so the second point, the joy of joining heaven's pursuit and recovery of sinners. I've included this little leaflet, How to Eat and Drink with Jesus and His Friends. You might like to just pull it out. If it's been a while since you've known the joy, the thought of inviting your non-Christian neighbours over or or oh, those people from work, or oh, the people are down at the sporting club, or oh, it's just so easy. Let's just invite these, oh, these Christian friends of ours, because it's just fun, it's easy, it's like, oh. But see, if the thought is like, oh, it's dread, then again, remember the reason Jesus is telling these parables. Remember who he's talking to. People who have lost touch with the heart of God. Searching God, rescuing God. Grace-filled God, partying God. See, true joy is not the joy of finding things that we've lost. True joy is not, that won't come from you getting stuff you haven't yet got. No, no, no. True joy comes from joining Jesus and his mission to seek and to find what's precious to God. 
And so the first of a couple of little inserts, just to get a bit practical. Let me, let me help you illustrate what I mean. So, um, so sorry, I've forgotten which... No, I know that's lives. Here we go. You see, I've known Matt and Kristen for a while. I'm going to give them their cake now. Here you go, guys. There you go. Now, they'll say, no, no, we've got to pay for it. They've got to let us pay for it. I mean, I spent a lot of money on this cake. And just think of the time that the person's put in to actually make the cake. But, of course, that's the whole point of grace, isn't it? Covering the cost completely. Now, I know for a fact that it's not good for you guys to eat this cake all by yourselves. You'll give it a try. And so just maybe, just maybe Matt and Kristen could think, oh, look, we haven't seen some of the non-Christian neighbours and people that are around us for a while. Uh, we might, we'll let them know we're back. Come and enjoy this cake with us and banquet with us. And every time we are having a party, a mate of mine, Tim, he was turning 30, and he, he had this fantastic party planned and, and he was actually working for the Department of Evangelism in Sydney. And then he, he was like literally two days away from his party. Everyone's RSVP'd, they're pumped, they're coming. And he's realised, far out, I'm working for the Department of Evangelism and I've just invited Christians to my party. And so he rang up, because uh, it was a, at a restaurant, he rang up half of his Christian friends and, and actually uninvited them <laughs> to his 30th and got on the phone and invited uh, 20 of his non-Christian mates and neighbours that some he didn't even know very well and invited them to come to his 30th. It's that sort of grace revolution that we've got to keep helping each other know the joy of. And so what I've got here um, is a little bit of um, what the Bible has to say about hospitality and stuff, but particularly what I want us to do um, before you go to sleep tonight is this little relational thumbprint exercise. You see, we've all got a thumbprint. It's unique to you. Um, and uh, if, if you write out all your relationships of all the people you know who are not yet Christian, uh, you'll find that you'll be the only person who has that unique relational thumbprint. That, um, in fact, you know, you could be the only Christian in, in, a, in these people's lives. And that gives you a reason to sort of asterisk a few names, to begin praying uh, talking about them with your small group, praying for one another, get to know one another's non-Christians. Uh, evangelism is a team sport. Uh, fishing with Jesus is a team sport. It's a lot of fun doing it together. So you might invite you know, a Christian friends over for dinner. They bring some non-Christian friends. You and you bring some non-Christian friends. Christians hanging out with non-Christians, just having a good time. No real agenda, but being salt and light. It, it, it's, it just starts like that. And so that's the invitation. Uh, and it really is the application uh, from today's sermon for those of us here who already think of themselves as Christian and knowing the goodness of this grace. Let me pray for us. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for Jesus. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you left everything in heaven to become one of us to humble yourself even to death on a cross, to bear all of our sin for all time, to pay the debt, to carry us home to heaven. Help us to know the joy of continuing to come to you humbly, embracing your, your inexhaustible grace for our lives. Please keep instructing us by this grace how we can know more and more of the joy, your joy, 
of seeking and finding and rescuing people who are lost to you. And for those of us here this morning who are thinking, not sure I know the wonder of this grace, please help them uh, to keep exploring and to come, to come to Jesus, to surrender it all to Jesus, to come home. In Jesus' name, Amen.